Hello, heathens. Come, sit by the fire. The winter is getting to its peak and we are closing in to the end of the year. I hope you're all doing fine and getting in a festive mood. Today we're going to talk about a very important holiday that was being celebrated for hundreds of years. It was always a time of self-reflection, thankfulness, protection and gifting. I'm talking about Yule. This fest has a lot of names in different cultures and different gods and entities and rituals are associated with it. It changed a lot over the years and is now widely celebrated under the name of Christmas. I will shed some light on ancient symbols of the Christmas and the key figures involved with it. I will also talk about my plans for this year's Yule and the days that follows it. So let's talk about it, shall we? Let's start with this whole Christmas time, because I don't know if it's the same case for you, but Christmas was always a bit strange for me, because at the 6th of December, when I was in kindergarten, there was always the Christkind, like an angelic figure that brought gifts, or small gifts, that they like chocolate. As I was getting older, the Christkind somehow changed or merged into St. Nicholas, an older fella in red robe that was handing out gifts as well. And then, like, three weeks after St. Nicholas or the Christkind, the whole Christmas celebration starts, with the family coming together, and at that day, another red robe fella was sending out gifts, like, bigger gifts, then as well. He rides through the sky on a sleigh with his six or eight reindeers, pulling it, calling out ho 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 through the night, and somehow squeezes himself through the chimney to deliver gifts. And then if you mix the whole Christmas birth of Jesus Christ thing into that, I really became highly confused. And somehow I still am, because none of the Santa Claus thing is, as you all know, isn't described in the Bible. And somehow everybody is celebrating this. Highly constructed fest. It begins to Halloween here in Germany that in every grocery store you can buy Christmas food like chocolate Santa Clauses and you can buy decorations for your house themed to whatever this fest is. So I always knew that there must be something underneath. All this commercialized celebration of the end of the year. It was always so strange to me that all the symbols that I used at this time were never properly explained to me. Like why we are having a Christmas tree? Or why did my mother pull out the Christmas pyramid and wrestled for it for days on end because it never spun right? Or that you are gifting little marzipan pigs or chimney sweeps to your loved ones for a Sylvester. It's like the end of the year celebration here in Europe. In the years that followed, I looked into ancient celebrations of these days and found the most prominent origin of it. It's called Yule. So let's talk about Yule here. Let's start with a definition, so that we, so what do we know we are talking about. Yule, also known as Yul, Yul or Yulo, is a winter festival with roots in the traditions of Germanic people. It became part of Christmas when the Germanic people were embraced Christianity, as it, as it stands here, no, when they were Christianized. And nowadays, followers of certain new religious movements like modern Germanic paganism celebrate Yule separately from the Christmas festival, like me. Scholars link the original Yule celebration to the Wild Hunt, the god Odin, and the ancient Anglo-Saxon Modra Nid, also known as the Mother Knights. The term Yule is no, 
The term Yule and similar words are still used in English, Scandinavian languages, Finnish and Estonian to refer to Christmas and other winter holiday season festivities. Moreover, some current Christmas customs, such as the Yule Lock, Yule Goat, Yule Boar, Yule Singing and others may have roots in older pagan Yule traditions. Yol, like one of the names for Yule, is actually an indicator to Odin because one of his many names is Jolnir, meaning Yule figure, or Jolfudr, meaning Jol or a Yule father. Also, Oski is one of the heti, or epithets, for Odin's name, or for Odin, meaning the god of wishes, which appears in the old sources of the Gülfanning, Grimnismal, and Odin's Nöfin. So, now we know what Yule is, but when was it actually celebrated? Well, that's not an easy answer to give, because it really depends on the tribe or culture you're asking about. And most scripts from the Viking times tell us that the celebration were held throughout the month of December. But the most important day was of course the day of the winter solstice, which is a solar holiday on December 1st, uh, 23rd or 22nd in the northern hemisphere. During this time the Earth's axis is tilted the furthest away from the sun, creating the longest night of the year. <coughs> and now you have to think like a heathen from ancient times to understand what that meant. Throughout the whole winter, I need to take a sip, <coughs> my voice is getting raspy. Mm. Throughout the whole winter, you watched as the sun was getting weaker and the days were getting shorter. And it all conglomerates conglomerated, you, to the day of the winter solstice, when the shortest day and the longest night occurred. And you have to think about, like, in, in North Europe, you wouldn't see the sun in the winter for weeks or months on end. So people, especially ancient people, were getting a bit worried um, that the sun might never rise again. So they lit fires throughout the night, celebrated heavily and tried to appease the gods with gifts and sacrifices so that the sun would rise again. The interesting thing for me is that even in Scandinavia, Yule is celebrated at the day of Christmas, so not the 23rd or 22nd of December, but the 24th, like everywhere else. And I always thought that the Scandinavians are a bit more intertwined with their roots, and so I began digging, and in my research I actually found a text about a Norwegian king that explains why, after the Christianization, the days of the winter solstice, or the celebrations of them, were aligned to the birth of Jesus Christ, or I have to say the supposedly birth of Jesus Christ. I yeah, because it's not one hundred percent sure that he lived and when he was born. So, but I want to read uh, from the saga of Hakon the Good from Snorra Sturlesonar out of the text Heimskringla. The saga of Hakon the Good attributes the Christianization of Norway and the synchronization of Yule with Christian celebration to King Hakon I, who ruled from 934 to 961. According to the saga, when Hakon came to Norway, he was already a committed Christian. However, since the country was predominantly pagan and its people clung to their heathen traditions, Hakon concealed his Christianity to gain the support of the great chieftains. Over time, Hakon enacted a law mandating that Yule festivities align with the Christian 
Christmas celebrations. The law stipulated that during this time everyone had to partake in ale for the festivities accompanied by a measure of grain. Failure to comply would result in fines and people were required to observe the holiday as long as the ale lasted. Now we know how the day of the celebration changed but we still don't know what actually was celebrated. But in the same text, if you read a bit further, we find a passage about a Yule celebration from the time of Hakon the Good. In ancient times, when a sacrifice was to take place, all farmers were required to gather at the heathen temple, bringing the necessarily necessar necessary food to the feast. During the celebration, everyone participated in drinking ale. Various livestock, including horses, were sacrificed, and the blood was termed cloud, meaning sacrificial blood. This blood was smeared on the idol's pedestals, the temple walls inside and out, and the individuals present. The animal's meat was boiled and served as a banquet food. Fires were lit in the temple's center with kettles hanging over them. The sacrificial beaker circled the fire and the feast's host, the chieftain, blessed the, the, both the beaker and all the sacrificial meat. The narrative adds that toasts were made. The first toast honored Odin for victory and power for the king. The second was dedicated to the gods Njordir and Freyr for good harvests and for peace. And the third involved a toast for the king himself, of course. Additionally, toasts were raised in memory of the departed kinsfolk, so the dead ones, known as Mini. Now let's talk about modern rituals for Yule. And I'm quite sure that most of you, maybe unintentionally, are already doing most of these things that I'm going to talk about here. The only thing that I can give you on your way is maybe to be more thoughtful about and conscious about these things. Like the first ritual is lighting candles. I think when you look into your city or in your village, you will see a lot of candles burning in the windows and in the houses. And candlelight or candles is an easy and modern way to bring the fire or the campfire into your home. And a lot of spiritual people and pagan people light candles to start rituals, to entrust the flames with things that you want to leave behind or things that you want to cultivate in your life. And how you would do that is to write these wishes on a piece of paper and then burn the paper with the candle or put both on your altar or your makeshift altar. The light is a crucial part of all winter solstice celebrations and the flame and the light were always guarded at this time so that the winter wouldn't extinguish the last flame, a symbol for the sun itself. So the people kept the fire and protected it until the longest night was over or winter was over. <coughs> Another ritual that I think everybody is doing is decorating the house. This can take a lot of shapes and forms, like getting an evergreen and decorate that, or craft a wreath circle to put candles on it for the advent. I think everybody know the advent circle, like this green bushy circle, that's a wreath circle, and normally you put like four big red candles on it for the for the uh, four Sundays until Christmas. Um, where was I? Right. The evergreen or any green trees in the winter were always a sign for ancient people that nature is still alive. Green is still the color of hope nowadays. And to keep one piece of nature close by would remind the people that the winter will be over soon 
or at one time. The wreath circle is an old symbol for the wheel of life or the sun wheel, which had two axes in it that crossed in the middle like a big plus, giving us four points on the wheel, like for the four candles. And these four points could also stand for a lot of things, like north, east, south, and west, for the four seasons, or for the four elements. And of course, many, many more things. The Yule tree or the Christmas tree often comes with a star on top, and that led German anthropologist Wolf Dieter Stoll to the theory that the Christmas tree could be an ancient symbol for shamanism and could be older than assumed. <clears throat> when you look at a Christmas tree, you see that it has stages to its needles, like the first stage on the top has just one spike, and then the next level has like four or five spikes, and then it widens out at the bottom. This could be a symbol for the different realms of the Tree of Life, Yggdrasil, which the shamans would climb up spiritually to reach different realms. Another interesting thought that he had was that in ancient tribal cultures like the Indian Americans, they had this massive tents called tipis, and they were cone-shaped like the Christmas tree. And in the middle of those tents, there were there was always a big fire, and on top of the fire, there was always a big air hole, like an opening. And this opening was always the gate for spirits to enter the human realm or for the shamans to reach the spiritual realm. Maybe that's the reason the the, that the Christmas spirit in form of Father Christmas um, comes through the chimney to deliver his gifts. Because in the vernacular, chimney is always the gateway for spirits, good and bad. And that's why here in Europe, especially, we have the chimney sweeps. These are people dressed in all black and they clean the chimneys like once a year so that the channel to the spiritual realm would be clean again. So that no bad spirits would uh, would get stuck in the chimney or in the mud or in the dirt of the chimney. And still the chimney sweep here in Europe is a huge sign of luck. So everybody, when the, when the chimney sweeps com comes to your house, you'd still try to touch his uniform because it's a sign of good luck. But I wanted to talk about the star on top of the Christmas tree. I digress. You see, in the northern hemisphere, if you look up in the sky, you will always have the polar star in the middle. So when you're sitting in your tippy and having shamanistic rituals, you look up through the opening and you will always see one bright star. So that led Wolf-Dieter Stoll to the conclusion or hypothesis that this could be one of the ideas why we have the star on top of the Christmas tree. The most common explanation is, of course, the star that led the three wise men to the birthplace of Jesus Christ. Right, so let's continue with the rituals. Um, another ritual, or the last ritual I want to talk about, is making gifts. I think everybody will do that in the Christmas time, and to help others. And this is also not a modern idea per se. Even the Romans had a festive time at the winter solstice called Saturnalia, where gifting and partying for days on end was done. And even the personnel and slaves would receive gifts from their masters. And this tradition even went on in the Middle Ages, where the king held massive feasts over multiple days for the whole court. So again, here the only thing that I can tell you is to make meaningful gifts, maybe even something self-made from yourself, and when you still have time and yeah, the drive, please help others. Maybe go to a soup kitchen, 
or give something to the poor because this is the time of the year that is yeah it, it, it has been done before uh, it has been done for many times many years and so why not keep up this yeah this good tradition now that we talked about Yule let's talk about the Yule now let's talk about the key figure of this celebration and let's try to let's try to entertain the idea that the key figure of Yule could be could be the same figure or uh, a very close figure to the key figure of Christmas. So for Yule it's Odin and for Christmas it's Santa Claus. And there could be a connection between those these two, and I just want to share some, yeah, references. So Santa Claus is flying around on Christmas Eve to bring gifts to the good children. Odin flew around in December for Yuletide to head off to the wild hunt, where he would reward the good and punish those who deserve it. Santa Claus has a big bag full of gifts, and in medieval times these gifts were often baked goods with spices from foreign lands, like. Presents from another realm, because herbs and spices were always rare in Europe and highly sorted out. And Odin has a bag with him full of experiences and challenges for the next year. Santa Claus has eight reindeers pulling his sleigh, as well as Odin has an eight-legged white horse called Sleipnir. A side note here is that in the Netherlands they also have Santa Claus, but he is called Santa Claus or Sinterklaas, and he travels by boat. And he brings gifts from Netherlands where a colonial power, so he brings gifts from the colonies like herbs and spices. Especially in medieval times. And after he steps off from the boat, still done today, he continues his journey on a white horse into the city, like the white horse from Odin. But that's just a side note. Um, they are both the most visually iconic figure of their festive, respectively, and both are called the father of this festive, like Father Christmas and Yule Father of Odin. They are both the same archetype after Carl Gustav Jung, the old wise, and Santa Claus has little helpers that make the toys for the children, and the depiction of those are an amalgamation between elves and dwarves from Norse mythology, because the elves of Santa are not beautiful and, and, and tall uh, illuminated figures but they are small but have still elven ears and they are not called kobolds or gnomes or something like this they are called elves the last possible connection between these two is that Santa Claus calls out ho 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 when he rides his sleigh and in one of the stories Odin encourages his horse with the words ho ho so Take that as you will. There could be a connection between Odin and Santa Claus. I think it's 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 in some points it's a bit it's obvious, but you decide for yourself, of course. Now that we talked about Yule, we talked about Odin and Santa Claus. Let's talk about the nights or the days that follow Yule or Christmas. They're called the the twelve tides or the twelve nights, and in Germany it's called the Rauhnächte also rau meaning rough and it also is also called the rauchnächte meaning the smoke or smoking nights 
Another words are the Glöckelnächte, coming from bells and whistles, the inner nights, innernächte, or the under nights, the unternächte. And these nights are a number of nights around the turn of the year that are accorded special significance in European customs. These are usually the 12 days of Christmas, from Christmas Day, 25th of December, to the Feast of, of the Epiphany, the 6th of January. And occasionally other periods, such as the days between St. Thomas Day and New Year's Eve, are uh, linked with these, these, these 12 tides. And in some areas... Ah, let's skip that. Sorry. Um, so there are, there are three possible days when these 12 nights start. And these are, as I said, the 21st of December for the winter solstice, the 24th of December or 25th of December for Christmas, and some stories even tell us that it's the 31st of December or the 1st of January when this period of the 12 days start. But why we are having these 12 days? The idea or the legend behind these nights is that the calendar and the moon phases leave a small gap, like the Gregorian calendar and the moon phases. Because um, the moon phase or the moon circle is a bit shorter than the calendar year, about 12 days. And so the idea came up in, I don't know, maybe medieval Europe, maybe ancient Europe, that these 12 days don't belong to anybody. So there are a lot of fairy tales and folklore about <laughs> demons and bad spirits that roam the nights at these days. And yeah, let's let's talk about a bit of the origin of the word so maybe we can find a bit of a bit of ideas why these these nights were so so strange. So the etymology of the word Raunacht is disputed. According to one view, it traces back to the Middle High German word Ruch, meaning hairy, which is still used today in Germany uh, for furware, like furware, fur clothes. It's called Rauware or Rauchware. This interpretation suggests it refers to demons clad in fur who wreak havoc during the nights, or perhaps to rituals related to livestock. I will come to that later. Another derivation of Raunacht originates from the traditional fumigation of stables with incense by the priests or the farmer's owner. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> um, yeah, like so the, the farmers would um, burn a lot of incense in the stables so that the farm animals would be protected from bad spirits. And this interpretation is actually quite old and reaching back to medieval times. Depending on whatever one prefers, the first or the second interpretation, the other is often seen as a secondary interpretation, the term Glockelnächte, as I said, from bells and whistles, and it comes from a, from a tradition going from door to door and ringing the bells seeking for hospitality. Another assumption about the origin of the Raunächte is, as I said, the word high, the high German word Hoch. Uh, I spoke about this in the definition. This means hairy but also wild. And in the Alpen regions of Germany and Europe, the Perchten and the Krampus 
are well known at Christmas time. I talked about them in my last episode. So Miss Perchta and her entourage roam the countryside wrapped in fur and wearing grotesque handcrafted masks and they were noisily wandering through the villages with the goal to loudly drive out the winter. Like again, with bells and whistles. So, that's about the origin of Raun of Raunechte. Now let's talk about the rituals. Um, there are some customs that survive to this day. For example, candles are said to be placed in the house and on windows in the dark to drive away evil spirits. Or make a lot of noise at the end of the year um, to drive them away. Like we do to our New Year's party where we shooting a lot of firework in the sky. It's an ancient attempt to clean to have a, a clean plate for the next year so everything that happened everything bad happened is just blown away you also often hear that you shouldn't wash and hang out the washing between the years superstition has it that demons could get caught in it or steal the laundry to use as a shroud for the owner so the owner would die I'm sure that there are other ancient pagan rituals of this time of the 12th type, but there aren't a lot of ancient texts to begin with, and none of these, at least to my knowledge, talk about this time of the year. Well, at least not in this context. And most sources tell us, tells us that these traditions were passed down orally. So I will focus on modern traditions here, or I have to, so I take everything with a grain of salt here. But, remember, just because there are no traditions or traditional rituals left, doesn't mean that conscious subjective rituals can't have a positive effect at this time. In fact, in fact they certainly will. Willful suspension of disbelief is the key phrase here, because many people stand in their own way, especially, especially spirituality, especially spiritually, they can't get involved in a situation they are blocking themselves. You see, you see, people possess a sort of superpower to evoke deep psychological effects through faith. So, please, don't worry about ancient traditions too much at this point, because this could stand in your way for a positive impact in your life. So, let's continue with modern rituals. So most modern heathens take these 12 and a half days as a form of compass for the next year. <clears throat> like the farmers, there's a farmer rule that did the same. And a lot of people start... No, I have to start over. <clears throat> I, I slipped in my, in my uh, script one second. Um, as a compass for the next year, in the course of which, in the course of which, these 12 days, dreams can have a specific meaning for the months that they represent. So, one of the rituals that is given through modern pagan sites is to have a dream diary. Another possible ritual would be to define 12 wishes or 12 goals you want to achieve the next year. And you write them down in the morning and place the piece of paper under your pillow. Or burn them on with a candle or on your altar. <clears throat> and 
And you will find a lot of modern sources and blogs and people that talk about that every day has some kind of topic. I pulled out the first best that I found and it goes a bit like this. Day one stands for January. Take a look back of the year you had, leave old burdens behind you and this and this list that I found here always recommends what you could smoke or, or what you could burn uh, uh, what you could burn for, for, for smoking out your house and for January it's incense, it's like the basic Christian fragrance you're always getting in every church. February the topic is focus on silence and relax and the incense you can burn again is again incense or cedar wood March open yourself up to others and show your inner self you could burn cedar wood again and juniper april the topic is trust your inner self you could burn again incense myrrh and fir tree may be good to your the topic is be good to yourself and enjoy yourself you could burn incense again june the topic is forgive try to work on your relationships say sorry to the people you wronged you could burn wormwood or mugwood mugwood july the topic is get in contact with your feelings. The things you could burn is white sage, camphor and pine tree. August, the topic is make decisions for the next year. You could smoke incense, myrrh and cedar wood. September, the topic is check your impulse of the last night. You could burn myrrh and fir tree. October, the topic is fullness for fullness for what is right now. I think awareness is meant here. Awareness for what is right now. You could smoke incense, juniper and camphor. November, the topic is be thankful for what is. You burn incense. December, figuring out figuring out the sense of the impulse of the last night. You could burn incense and myrrh. And as I said, this is just one of many, many lists about this topic. I would suggest the following. If you're interested in doing something for you at this time, Try to open up a few pages, just browse over them. And if you find something that resonates with you, why don't you try it out? Maybe not the whole smoking and burning incenses with all the different herbs and spices, but maybe just focus on the topic of, of the day. Make your own little ritual, because self-empowerment is a huge focus point in paganism. You are your own savior. You're the one who can bless yourself, bless your life, bless your family. You can achieve everything with mindfulness, consciousness and discipline. Now we come to the last topic I want to talk about. It's the wild hunt. And the wild hunt occurs in the time, yeah, in the last, in, the Dece in, in December or the last two weeks of the year. I talked about the wild hunt and the leaders of and the leaders of it and the most prominent figure is of course Odin. I talked about this in the last episode about the Pechta because she's one of the other um, prominent figures of the Wild Hunt and the Wild Hunt is just a very interesting phenomenon that has been reported on for hundreds of years. Now we'll start with a bit of a definition. The Wild Hunt, also known as the Wild Army, the Wild Ride, is the German name for a folk tale that is widespread in many parts of Europe and usually refers to a group of supernatural hunters who hunt across the sky. 
the sighting of the hunt could have different consequences depending on the region. On the one hand, it was seen as a harboring of disaster, such as wars, drought or diseases. But it also could point to death of the person who witnessed it. There are also versions in which the witnesses became part of the hunt, or the souls of sleeping people were dragged along to take part in the hunt. The term wild hunt was coined on the basis of Jacob Grimm's German mythology, 1835. <coughs> The phenomenon, which has distinct regional variants, is known in Scandinavia as Odin's Jagd, Odin's Hunt, Oskarai, Askerai, or Asgardrai, the Asgardian train or journey to Asgard, realm of the, the Norse gods, and is closely associated with the Yule season. In the Alemannic or Swabian dialects, the reference to Wotin or Odin is also clear in the name Vytisher, meaning the Furious Legion, which could indicate a connection to Wotan Wodan, meaning the Furious or the Frenzied One. From Old High German Wot, meaning violent movement, violent agitation, frenzy. <coughs> in the Alps, it is also known as the Graz Zoo. In, the in England, the train is called the Wild Hunt, of course. In France, it's called Masny Halikin, Chasse Fantastique, Chasse Ariene, or Chasse Sauvage. And in the French-speaking part of Canada, the term Chasse Galerie is used. And in Italian, the phenomenon is known as Caccia Salvegia or Caccia Morta. So it's, it's known throughout the whole of Europe. And give me a second here. Sorry, my, my script got got jumbled up. Um, I wanted to talk about more in depth about the word uh, the, the, the in the French speaking part of Canada. It's called la chasse galerie, but it's also called there the bewitched the bewitched canoe or the flying canoe. I really. I read about this phenomenon and it's obvious that European folklore and Indian folklore in the American mixed together in Canada. Because the phenomenon is basically the same as in Europe, the time when it happens is also the same, the only difference is that the wild hunt doesn't come on horseback and with dogs, but they drive canoes through the sky. So there are no real rituals in this time of the wild hunt. Because the wild hunt is hypothesized to be a personification of the cold winds of the winter that are that are rattling on the windows or on the roofs. And the most important thing is when you are when you meet them that you should look away because they will drag you with them, or so the folklore tells us. I want to highlight one more aspect about the wild hunt because I think there are not a bringer of the winter, and I'm not the only one with this hypothesis, I think they drive back the winter. Because you see, in the sagas of the Vikings and in uh, and in the Edda, they it's always told that the horses of the Asgardian gods, especially Odin's horse, is a bringer of life of nature. The saliva and the sweat of the horses make plants blossom, and when do horses sweat the most? Of course, on a wild chase of something. Especially the saliva of the horse of Odin is told to have magical properties. 
and where droplets of the saliva fall on Earth, there will grow a very special mushroom, Ammonita muscaria, the fly agaric mushroom. This mushroom is the archetype of the mushroom of the fairy tales and is still a symbol of good luck, especially here in Europe and in Germany. And in Germany, you would say when somebody has, maybe maybe he find found a, a very good wife, he's a lucky mushroom. And it's always this fly agaric mushroom in mind. Shamanistic ritual with this type of mushroom are passed on, um, were, were passed down orally again. And, wait, ah, my script. <laughs> The, the, the shamans use this mash, mushroom in their rituals because it has a very distinguished effect on the human body. I know a lot of people that were told as, a, as children that these mushrooms are highly poisonous. And some of the family are like the Ammonita panteria, the panther cap, which has like 10 or 100 times the 100 times higher active ingredient than the fly agaric but the common fly agaric so the red one actually has a very calming effect on the body if taken right and if taken a higher dosage can induce a sort of delirium like a high fever but the active ingredient is currently being researched in the in the fight against depression and anxiety so maybe just maybe the reason why santa claus wears red and white is because of, of this mushroom and maybe just maybe the shamans and druids and medicine men of ancient times knew something about how to fight the mental struggle of the winter on our psyche so that's a bit rushed about the wild hunt i'm sure i will make another another episode about this but i want to focus for the last minutes about what i'm going to do with um yeah with this special time obviously so I will start actually tomorrow um, with the winter solstice with my celebration of yeah the, the Raunechte, the 12th tide, with my wife. And so we have a little plan for the next 12 days to focus on different topics um, of the last year and yeah for, for the next year. And this is always our our afternoon ritual when my, my daughter is put put to sleep. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to it, to work on myself this time. Another big thing I'm planning right now, actually, is to have a community ritual in the forest with like 10 to 15 people. And the only thing we try to achieve at this night is to light a fire with the last beam of light of the day of the 21st or 22nd and keep the fire going throughout the night until the sun yeah rises again and i read about this ritual in yeah many different many different heathen uh, cultures like indian american and it just always felt right and i've been doing this ritual for the past five years i think it's the only ritual that i'm doing really every year and i'm really looking forward to this ritual with like a bigger group because 
there were always also ties uh, also times where I did this ritual like with two or three people and after the solstice I will celebrate Christmas normally with my family um, yeah we have a big feast and my, my brother comes and we, yeah we're just gonna gonna eat and drink and enjoy the, the joy of, of gifting presents so that's pretty much what I've planned and I hope my little excursion through ancient European folklore of the winter caught your interest and I hope I could inspire you to do something on your own because it's perfect time to set goals, to set New Year's resolutions and why not give it all a pagan or heathen touch this year. I will go on, on a short vacation for about a month I think because I have to get some things in order but I will start strong in the next year, I promise you that. I wish you all a wonderful Christmas and or Yule time with your family or your friends or just with yourself. I'm always curious what you guys are planning so please let me know on Instagram, YouTube or via mail at the.blodcast at gmail.com and as always know that you are loved, you are able to love because you are love. Take care. Until next time.